Hi, I'm Marika and welcome to Money Chill Out. On this podcast, I want to dive into the world of the often unspoken topic of money. Effective personal finance management can be a great liberator, but also a huge stress factor in our lives. After a 10-year career on trading flows in London, I want to help demystify the intimidating world of finance and have an open, honest and frank conversation. By opening the discussion, I wish you identify yourself, learn, be inspired and get empowered. Every other week, I'll be joined by guests for conversation on money, mindsets, investment habits and any best practices they abide by. So join me on this journey as we unpick the complexities of finance and get more comfortable talking about our money. And when you're ready to go further in mastering your finances, come and work with me on a one-to-one coaching. You'll grow your awareness, move on with your projects, and have an accountability buddy to track your progress. Today, I'm very pleased to welcome Patrick Venn, the founder of Tomi, whose aim is to spread financial peace of mind for everyone. He is based in London, but will probably settle in Rocklow to grow his business and lower the cost of living. Patrick didn't used to be good with money. He had 20k of debt from student loans and credit cards and went from paycheck to paycheck. Until a shameful event with his girlfriend acted as a kind of a wake-up call. He decided to get better with his personal finances, went a long way and started to share what he learned. Keen to get good financial habits? Let's go. So hi, Patrick, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? Yeah, great. Amazing. I'm super happy to have you on this podcast, so thanks for your time. And I'm super, super keen to exchange with you, as I like the fact that you have learned from your own experiences. So I guess a lot of people can really identify with you and that your message is very effective, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I might, we don't really get taught about this financial management or money management stuff in in school system, at least where I'm from in Canada, and certainly not in the UK where I live. It's not really taught in the school system. And many of us don't learn how to sort of be financially savvy in the household either. So I think people sort of empathize with my situation of finding myself, you know, early to mid-20s in the job market, in a career, earning money but not really that confident with what to do with that money. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So can you tell us a bit how you used to be with your money then? So in a one word, pretty awful. Awful is the way I would describe it. So I had a total, by my mid-20s, I had a total of £20,000 in credit card debt and student debt. I was very much on that YOLO or FOMO train, you know, just spending everything that I was bringing in, living for the moment, living for today, and not really caring about the future and certainly not my my financial future. So I didn't have a plan. That was probably the big thing. And I was just mismanaging all the money that was kind of coming in and out of my account. I just had yeah, no good sound habits and things were totally all over the place for me. <laughs> Do you think it's pressure from society or just you wanted to enjoy? <laughs> I think there's probably a combination of both. I do think for maybe the older generation, maybe I think of my parents, they have that saying called keeping up with the Joneses or keeping up with your neighbors is kind of essentially what that means. And usually you would look to your left in the house, you would look to the right and the car parked in the driveway you were kind of comparing yourselves to people within your community 
Whereas now I find what I call the Instagram effect is we're constantly bombarded, especially I am on, on like my social media feed of everyone seems like they're going on these amazing holidays. They've just bought a house. They're driving these fancy cars. It feels like everyone can afford everything all of the time. And I definitely think there was an element of me trying to chase that and say, well, I want to be part of that cool life too. And I want to go on those expensive vacations and do all those fun things. So I think definitely there's an element of it was my own mismanagement, but then also sort of the additional pressures of those society was definitely reason why I was basically living beyond my means. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what made you change then? Did you have a wake up call? I definitely had a wake up call and I call it the most embarrassing day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll kind of tell you the short story of it, but essentially several years ago, I was on the way to my best friend's wedding. And at this moment in time, I had that debt that I talked about and none of those good financial habits. And my new girlfriend at the time, her name was Basha. She suggested that we get my friend a cash gift for his wedding, which is super common in the UK. Just give, give the bride and groom cash. <laughs> so we were on our way to the bank and I asked her in the back of the cab, like, how much should we give? my mate. And she said, why not 150 pounds each? And I remember like sweating in the back of the cab, thinking in my head, like, oh God, it's a couple days away from payday. I don't really have that lying around. And I think I expressed that to her and, and kind of hit the fact that I was like, didn't have any money left, but I kind of massaged it a little. And she said, no problem. Just simple solution. Just take it from your savings and replace it in two days when you get paid. And my response to her was, what savings? And I remember her body language just completely changing in the back of the cab ride. Like we were all excited. We were dressed in nice clothes on our way to my best friend's wedding. And suddenly the mood became, we might as well have been going to a funeral. I mean, that's how the vibe kind of changed in the back of that cab. Long story short, she ended up loaning me the 150 pounds and I paid her back the next month. And I call that the most embarrassing day of my life because I was, you know, 27 at the time. And I just couldn't scrape together 150 pounds to give my friend as a wedding gift. And what happened from that, the, that was kind of the wake up call, I guess. But change came in the following weeks. So Basha obviously started to ask me a little bit more about my financial situation. We were newly dating. And so I did after some sort of coaxing from her and, and many conversations, I started to open up a little bit more and realized that she just wanted to build a life with someone who is financially reliable. She didn't care that I was rich. She didn't care that I was wealthy. She just wanted someone that she could trust to make good financial decisions, sound decisions. And I, I understood that. That totally made sense to me. I just wasn't that person. So that was the catalyst that kind of launched me on the mission to kind of go out there devour the books, the blogs, the podcasts, and, and start educating myself around money. Because the other option, if I didn't, I would probably lose this girl who I didn't really want to lose. So that was my big, big wake up call. Yeah, so super interesting story. And, and coming from girlfriend who pushes you, which I found amazing as well, because she could have not give you another chance in a way. So how did you do then once you had awareness? Well. There were two big things that happened. So the first was how Basha and I started to talk about money. She was, like you say, it can be a very delicate topic with couples. And she was very encouraging as opposed to like hammering me for my bad decisions and making me feel shameful. 
she was very much like wanting to sit down, teach me things that she had learned growing up. And she was a massive help in getting me confident to, to explore this stuff. And then the second thing was I just started to look at different resources. So I started with podcasts. That's my favorite way to like listen. And I'm not a massive book reader, but I like listening to podcasts. And I just started to, as opposed to solving my situation, I started to listen to other people's stories about money. And what I realized was really fascinating. I came across one particular podcast by Bryce and Christie. They're from Millennium Revolution, and they're the youngest retirees in Canadian history at 31. They became financially independent at 31. And that absolutely blew my mind that there was this way that money could actually buy your freedom in the future and buy your time back in the future. And that's the first time I ever heard people talk about money in that way. Usually it's all about, you know, budgeting and, and, you know, spreadsheets and kind of all the boring stuff about like restricting your life. And this was the first time I heard someone talk about how to use money to expand your life and live in abundance and your kind of rich life versus having it feel so restrictive. And so I just got quite addicted to those specific resources that were around the idea of financial independence. And once that happened, it actually got me excited and motivated to work on this money stuff versus it being a chore, something I kind of buried my head in the sand and it was the last thing I wanted to look at. Finally, there was like a, a positive reason to start working on this stuff. And so I really just started yeah, devouring content. I would say that is where I began, like education first, before I even put one thing into action. I spent the next month just devouring those resources. Mm -hmm. And I like it that you actually found inspiration. And as soon as you found it, you dive into it. That, that's so cool. And how long did it take you to actually get to a more comfortable situation? Because often we look at the end results, but we forget all the time and efforts that has been before. So what was the time for you? So there was a couple things that happened. The timeline for me to get to a baseline where I was feeling confident about my situation was about two and a half years. And so there was a couple things I did within that two and a half year period that made a huge difference. The first one is I actually, first thing that I did was I got a higher paying job. That was the first thing that, that I kind of went for. I think I was, when I was originally sort of struggling living in London, I was right around that like sort of 32 to 40,000 pound mark. That was kind of where I was earning cash wise. And so I went out there and said, look, that's fine. I can live basically check to check, maybe a little bit less for the lifestyle I want in London. So instead of trying to say, let me cut everything out of my life and remove everything and budget and basically live a very limiting lifestyle, I thought to myself, well, if I need about a thousand pounds to pay back all my debt, that was my goal to have that extra cash. If I earned sort of like went out there to the job market and actually got a better paying job, that would allow me to create that without jeopardizing my lifestyle. The second thing was I actually built a repayment plan. So this is where Basha and my girlfriend and her whizzy spreadsheet skills came into play. I actually said, okay, if I do this a thousand pounds a month, I literally circled a day on the calendar that I would be debt free. Yeah. So you need, I like it because it's the smart objectives, right? It's specific. You have a timeline. It's realizable. And, and it's like that, that you actually manage to get to your goals. 
Yep. And so I had this dream of being, I think it was around 18 months, a thousand a month that would get me into a really good position to kind of start from zero again and start like building savings and investing on the other side. But my first goal was to eliminate the debt. And Bash and I built this like this repayment plan. It was great. And she said to me, you know what? You could actually afford to pay more on this debt and have it gone in 12 months. And I decided against this. And even though it cost me a little bit more interest in the long run and, you know, an extra six months of repayments of debt, it was more sustainable for me to do 1000 repayment versus really pushing myself 15, 1600 and missing out on some of the things along the way, maybe a vacation or, or dinners out. So I actually chose a route that was a little bit more expensive and longer to do. But for me, it was more sustainable and it was easier to do. Yeah. And, and you know yourself, so you know what suits you. And I like it that way. Yeah. So what did you find the hardest? And now with taking a, a look back, what are you most proud of? The thing I found the hardest were going back to my old ways, because there's so many fun things. I was living in London. I mean, I could literally fill the calendar every day of the week with something awesome and fun to do. And I had friends saying, we're going on this holiday. There were stag dues. I found the hardest part is actually learning to say no a little bit. I didn't say no to everything. That's why I got the higher paying job and I still had money to enjoy some of it, but I couldn't do everything. And teaching myself to say no, and I can't do everything and that's okay, I found kind of extremely quite difficult over that, that time period. But it's like working out a muscle, right? You go to the gym to build a muscle, whether it's your legs or your arms or, or whatever that may be. I found it very difficult at the beginning and it started to get easier over time to kind of say, you know what, I can't and admit that, you know what, I can't afford to do that right now and that's okay, but I'm doing these other fun things and that's really great too. So I'd say that was the hardest thing. And the thing I think I'm most proud of, I think is the system that I built to repay. And it's not sort of a revolutionary system that I built and I'm sort of the owner of or anything like that. But what I did, which, which I was really proud of is I automated everything in my repayment plan. So basically what that means is let's say I got paid on the first of every month, my debt repayment was a direct debit that was automatically sucked out on the second of every month. So I actually didn't have to, I'm proud that I gave myself like that financial peace of mind. I didn't have to constantly work on this debt repayment plan. I did the work up front and then I made that auto automations, those direct debits, I set those up and I literally just carried on living my life. And I kind of woke up 12, 18 months later and the debt was gone. And it was so much less painful because I was able to set up those automations and, and just make it sort of take the decision out of my hands. And the automation is something that I've used now going forward with savings, with investing, with paying off credit cards. And it's made managing my financial system like a piece of cake. And so, like I said, I didn't come up with automation. It's something that anyone can do, but I'm really proud that I, I did. I built that muscle and was able to learn that and now apply it to other areas of like, now that the debt's gone, like the building wealth side of things. Yeah. And I think it's great as well because it's totally out of your mind. So there's no mental charge or anything. You just don't think about it as long as you have like that system in place and you know, you can afford a thousand each month, then it's part of a habit. So how can you go from paycheck to paycheck to be able to project a bit the future? I guess it's knowing your budget and what you can afford and then setting up 
an amount of money where you, as you said, serve yourself first? How can you get to that amount? Yeah. So I think before the psychological thing is, is the hardest before you get into like the numbers and the budgets, like for me, the big difference is I found the why I spent a decade being bad with money. And that story that I explained to you is, was my why I wanted to build a life with this girl, Basha, who ended up people like a good ending to a story. She ended up becoming my wife uh, last year, which is fantastic. She stuck it out with me in, in the bad times until I learned this stuff. But I found my reason why previously it was the reasons of why I wanted to get good with money were so loose and flimsy. It was like, I want to pay off debt because it's bad or because I know I shouldn't. They weren't that strong motivators. So when I had a decision, should I take this cool vacation or should I pay down debt? I took the cool vacation. It was the funner thing to do right in front of me. Whereas after that story, I had suddenly that choice, like, do I go on that fun, you know, exotic holiday or do I repay my debt? Suddenly, like repaying my debt had such beautiful ramifications to it. I was going to be, you know, not losing out on the girl of my dreams. So I like and pursuing that that idea of financial independence, like I had a reason to do those things. So that for me was the big, big first starting point is is to know your why, find your why. The second thing is about becoming aware. So you said like those tools like budgeting, there's so many great apps and financial products out there now that basically do all of this work for you. You don't need to have the pen and paper and the spreadsheets and, and all those crazy things. I mean, I use Revolut right now as my main bank and they just sent me a text this morning of here's your summary for the month. And I just got to quickly go in be very well aware of where my money's going, where I was spending well, where I was not spending so well, and really just bringing those transactions into my zone of awareness to start making better decisions the week ahead. So for me, leveraging like the financial tools, like money dashboard, a lot of banks now, the Revoluts, the Monzos have those spending reports broken down into them. Like they just bring everything into your zone of awareness. Otherwise, it's impossible to know what you can set aside every month or what's realistic. Like if you don't have that awareness, so find your why, use those financial products to get awareness. And then the third thing that I already talked about was then just setting those automations, whatever you are comfortable with, whatever you decide on, just automate it, take that decision out of your hands. And as you said, free up that mental bandwidth. Mm -hmm. And then how to get out from debt? Because that's a big question. Being in debt is a bit kind of a vicious circle. And because of a lack of financial literacy, or as we discussed earlier, like pressure for society and buying things, a lot of people don't really realize how bad it is. And when I mean bad debt is like through credit card, because it's high watering high, the interest rate that you need to pay. And then the amount that you need to reimburse gets bigger and bigger, and then you kind of trap and it's hard to get out of it. So how, what do you recommend doing? To get out of that trap of that kind of debt cycle that you might be in? Yeah. Yeah, it's a really challenging one. And for me, one thing that I thought was super inspiring and like very, very helpful in my debt journey was actually to listen to other people who had got out themselves. So I basically filled my ears with a podcast called Choose FI, which is sort of a choose financial independence. And it's not always about financial independence. A lot of the people on that podcast 
were struggling with debt that was way beyond what I was struggling with as well. And so there were a couple knock-on effects by filling my ears with those stories. Number one, it made me feel like less of an idiot, <laughs> that I was not alone, that this was, you're right, it's so common for us to have these, these credit card balances. Everyone has it, right? Everyone's got a, some type of debt. And so it's become super normalized. So to hear other people in a similar situation, and oftentimes a lot worse than I, just made me feel kind of not alone in the process. So that was one knock-on effect. The second one was a lot of them had really great sort of tips or hacks or ways that they kind of did things that I learned from. So automation was definitely one of those things. A second thing was, could you actually, and this doesn't work for everyone, of course, everyone's situation is different, but a lot of people on that podcast of when they wanted to repay debt were looking to earn extra money, but they had a full-time job. And so what they were able to sort of strategically and smartly do is try and find a quota. I know we love using this word, this, this sort of side hustle, but find something that is actually something you genuinely enjoy doing and maybe get rewarded for a little bit financially. So I'll give you an example. One thing that I was able to start exploring and do was coach boxing a couple nights a week. And I would have genuinely probably hand on heart have done that for free because I love the sport. I loved going to the gym, the community that was around that boxing club. It was an hour a, a night. It was energizing. Like the financial aspect of it wasn't the number one motivator. It was the additional bonus of doing that. So whether you're a yoga teacher or a boxing coach or you like cooking, like find something that doesn't feel like you have that second job that brings you in that little bit of three, two, three, four, five, whatever it may be, 500 pounds a month of extra income that you can use to actually pay off that debt even faster. Mm. So I really liked that about just filling my ears with inspiring stories, feeling like I was not alone and getting some tips on ways that I could expedite my process by learning from others who'd already gone through it. I love that way. Love it. And and I like as well, as you said, to be inspired rather than looking at all the negative things that you either have done or not done or haven't done properly. This is such a much more powerful way of achieving and, and getting out of it. It's cool. So let's talk about financial peace of mind now. So our financial health is as important as our physical or mental health. And yet it's still taboo to talk about money. Why do you think it's still the case? I've done a lot of work on this and I, I feel like there's two main reasons why we feel it's taboo to talk about money still. I often think that money is kind of where like mental health was five to seven years ago, right? Still very taboo to talk about your mental health. We are smashing that right now. People are opening up. It's becoming so much more common. My hope and dream is that that's the same way that our financial health follows, right? That same path that mental health has and people can open up about it. But I feel that there's a couple of reasons why we kind of lack opening up about it. And it depends on which side of the coin you're on. So I've talked to a lot of people and asked them this exact question. And two main reasons stand out to me. One is that we don't want to make other people feel bad. So if you're someone who is maybe really flying in your career, you feel like you're earning a lot, you're doing quite well, you're less inclined to kind of open up about those wins and those, those positive things 
because you might not want to make someone in your social circle who might not be at the same level as you feel bad about their situation. But then also the reverse can happen is that if you're not confident about the money you're earning, your financial situation, where you are with your financial health, you're far less inclined to open up to people because there is a lot of shame that you feel about that. So I found those are the two main reasons is we, we either don't want to offend people or we don't want to feel embarrassed or, or ashamed of where we are. Mm -hmm. And these things are just kind of reinforced, like with our daily, the way we talk about money on a daily basis. I'll never forget growing up in my household. I still to this day have no idea what my father and mother's salary was. Like I, I have no idea what they made in their career, like good, bad, or otherwise. I just have no idea. And my father's English. He's quite reserved. And I think when I would hear, I'd hear these things around the dinner table, like, oh, don't ask that. When I was younger, like, don't ask that, Patrick, that's rude. It's not appropriate to talk about that kind of thing. Don't ask anyone that kind of what they make. That's very just, it's not something socially acceptable. So I think that idea that this area is taboo was just slowly reinforced as well throughout my life. So when I came to adulthood, it just kind of was imprinted there from the very beginning that this is a kind of a no-fly zone, especially in my household. Now, I'll give you a kind of a contrast to that is my wife, Basha. She grew up in a household where her parents were from Poland. They immigrated to Canada. They constantly talked about money. At the dinner table, like what everyone was spending, what everyone was earning, people being laid off sometimes, like it was so part of the conversation, which I think is very, very rare. But I think that I had the opposite experience of her growing up, which was it was just a no fly zone. And that's what I was taught. Mm -hmm. And it's probably thanks to her and her family that actually you really opened up with money because I'm really, I really like the way you, you talk on LinkedIn or you post content. You're very approachable. You seem to be a very normal person. You, yeah, you, you're so open about it, how your wife has more money and, and you disclose your salaries and so on. So why do you do it and who do you attract? I think we do it to break that taboo is, is kind of as simple as that is we, we're all thinking these exact same questions, you know, whether it's what the hell is my pension invested in or do I have enough to retire or how much should I be saving? What should I be investing in? Like I can tell people in listening to this podcast, I work with hundreds of employees. They all have the exact same questions, concerns, sometimes insecurities, around money like it is just so part of everyone as well because you've been in an unstable or insecure financial position you now want to spread financial peace of mind so can you explain exactly what you put behind these words and how can you feel when you're in that situation so i think financial peace of mind does look really different to the individual itself For some, that might mean, you know, a million pound investment portfolio that makes them financially independent forever. That is sort of financial peace of mind. For other people, it's just knowing they can go to the grocery store and pick whatever brand of cheese that they want and not have to worry about if they can afford it or not. So I think what I do a lot in the initial stages when I speak to individuals is find out what financial peace of mind means to them. 
Because a lot of times people just don't spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff, right? We have our lives, it's busy, we've got kids, we've got work, we've got fitness we need to squeeze in and cook all the meals and clean up. Not a lot of bandwidth or time is really spent thinking about, okay, what does my rich life actually look like? What does financial peace of mind mean to me? So I think one of the biggest things that we do with individuals is define that and what that actually means to an individual. As I say, I work with some people who their idea of a rich life is traveling Europe in a Winnebago, like a camper van. For me, that feels like a nightmare. That's not my rich life, but it absolutely is theirs. And so I think that's the biggest place that we start is just highlighting and becoming aware what what does financial peace of mind mean to you? And then we can start plugging and and filling everything from there. Mm -hmm. And what's your plan of action then? What do you do with Termi? So... The first thing that we do is we kind of get people's why, understand what their rich life looks like, all the things that I just mentioned. And one of the other first things we like to do is actually calculate people's net worth. I've realized that most people think that net worth is solely reserved for people with a billion dollars or more. (laughs) And that's not really the case, right? We all have a net worth. That's the snapshot of everything we own versus everything that we owe. And even in my situation, when I was 20 grand in debt, like my net worth was negative 20,000. Like that was my net worth. Whether I liked it or not, that was a different story, but I actually had a net worth. And our wealth, the other problem is our wealth is everywhere, right? We've got savings accounts. We've got that little bit of Bitcoin we bought. We've got our mortgages, credit cards, salary, investments. It is everywhere. And oftentimes we're using, you know, different platforms to manage each. So I find the best place to start is to actually calculate your net worth, everything you own minus everything that you owe. And that can start highlighting interesting areas, maybe some blind spots you might have, maybe areas you're doing really exceptionally well and you didn't notice that. Again, it's all part of bringing things into people's zone of awareness. So they actually know what's going on with their finances. They know the good, they know the bad, and sometimes they know the ugly as well. So those are the first two things that we love to do to sort of get people excited. What does your rich life look like? What's the vision for it? Okay, what's your net worth? Where are we starting from today? And let's work together to fill in the gaps to to join those two things. Love that. And um, if people want to follow you or get in touch, how can they reach you? Yeah, so there's probably two best ways. I literally live on LinkedIn, so that's probably the easiest way. I don't really have Instagram or, or, or doing the other social media sites. So LinkedIn, at Patrick Ben, I'm definitely on there. Send me a DM message. I, I absolutely love connecting with people. And then if you want to learn a little bit more about our company and how we're helping employees achieve financial peace of mind as a workplace benefit, you can go over to tomitribe.com. T-O-M-I-I. Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much, Patrick, for the discussion. It was great, as usual. I'm always super happy. Uh, so interesting to hear from your own experience, to know how you get inspired. And I really like the emphasis you put on being inspired and, and wanting like a different life. And yeah, knowing as well yourself and how you feel, how you what you need and, and what you want. So I'm super pleased as well. You're trying to help other people get good financial habits. So keep up the good work and uh, all the best. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. And it was lovely talking to you. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye. So at the end of this episode, I hope you're as enthusiastic as I am. 
You can find the notes and the key takeaways on my website at maricafino.com. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and spread the word. Thank you.